I think that all AI is doing is just making us all more like priests, hmm. right? It's essentially doing, helping us do less dumb shit. Hmm. And I, I think that more often than not, that's what technology is here to do in the first place, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like Apple's announcement yesterday with the VR, it's like, so you can feel like you're in the room with somebody without having to go visit that person. Mm-hmm. Like just to make it easier so you don't have to do as much dumb shit to do right. what you and I are doing right now, which is connecting with human beings. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Future Product. This week, I'm sitting down with Tyler Carlson, co-founder at Resquared. Tyler, would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself and your journey with Resquared? Sure. Uh, Max, I appreciate you giving me a chance to chat here. So I'm Tyler Carlson. I'm uh, talking to you out of Tampa, Florida here right now. So summer is upon us. Um, uh, born and raised here in Tampa um, and Resquared was founded about three years ago um, when my my business partner and I, and, and credit to my business partner, Griffin, identified uh, the pain point of a lot of landlords that he had worked with in the past. Um, if you're driving down the road and see a shopping center or a mall or a, you know, a, a target or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that landlord has to give a bunch of free stuff to the big businesses, to the targets and the, mm-hmm. you know, the Walmarts of the world to get them to come to their center. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the local businesses where they make their money. Um, but it's also the biggest challenge to sell the local business. Um, it's a harder to get their contact information. It's a smaller deal size, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, we set out on the mission to make it easier to sell to local businesses. We started primarily in commercial real estate. Um, We've started to grow into other industries such as insurance, Mm -hmm. uh, marketing agencies. Essentially, if you're B2B selling to a local business, we can help make it easier. I see. Very interesting. Well, let's talk a little bit more about kind of, you know, some of the unique challenges that come with selling to local business, right? Um, especially for those who aren't familiar. Um, I've done a little bit of it, you know, in my career, but I'd love to kind of get your take. Yeah, for sure. And let me know too, if the internet um, gets spotty and I'll switch to a hotspot because I've been having yeah. trouble with my internet lately, but it looks like it's working okay now. Um, uh, but so the challenges related to, to selling to, a, to local business owners is I think um, I would kind of bucket into, into three, three categories. The first is, is identifying the contact information in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you spend more time Googling, you know, chiropractor, Tampa, Florida, and going on their website and finding an email address and copying and pasting it into mm-hmm. an Excel file, right? So just getting like the contact information in the first place. Like I thought I saw a a uh, stat that Salesforce put out a little while back that like only 27% or something like that of a salesperson's time is actually selling. The rest of it wow. is like administrative tasks, which mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll talk more about in the AI, you know, vein. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first piece is like, who am I contacting in the first place, right? right? How do I even get their contact information? The second piece is, okay, I can have Max's name and email address, right? But if I send a crappy email, he's never going to get back to me. Um, right. And because getting their contact information in the first place was so difficult. What happens is the salesperson puts all their energy into getting this list, right, of a mm-hmm. bunch of generic names and email addresses. And so they don't have the time or the energy to manually email each one of them a good right. email. So they right. end up blasting them. So the first piece is it's hard to get their contact information. The second piece is it makes it even more hard to do personalized, mm-hmm. personalized or tailored emails. Um, and then the third piece is because the deal size is typically smaller when you're working with an SMB, um, you don't put it. You're not able to put as much time and energy into it. And so I think the fact that it's a smaller deal. It's hard to get their contact information, which results in you blasting is kind of a perfect storm of making it just really painful um, to, to work with these folks. I see. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's uh, 
it's a little bit harder than a place where you have a giant org chart, right? Where you have all these opportunities that you could potentially burn through and where the cost of acquiring the information is a lot lower. Exactly. Exactly. And I can Google, you know, chief financial officer of Apple and it'll tell right. me who he is and how much money he's making and all that kind of stuff. But right. to find the, you know, the pizza shop owner. Right. And then to, to, to say something to that pizza shop owner that's going to get them to reply, the, the mm-hmm. kind of secret sauce, if you will, is you make it specific to his area. So it's like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, South Tampa pizza shop owner, but you can only do that if you have the data in the first place. Um, right. And then there's a whole bunch into the messaging and, and stuff like that. I see. Yeah. So basically avoiding what we all see a lot, right? Which is just templates, you know, boom, bang. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Spray and pray emails. Yep, that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. So how did, how did you guys actually go about validating this idea before launching? I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but I'd imagine that you still had to, to do some work on that end. Yeah, good question. So um, uh, back to the kind of the in, the inflection point of the the founding of the business. So when um, Griffin and I each had um, commercial real estate technology companies, which like the industry terms like prop tech, you know, technology companies, where I was working with with bigger brands like Subway and Burger King, uh, with a company uh, called Situs, um, who really is the main reason I've gotten so much startup experience. So shout out to, to Hannibal and Keenan Baldwin, the, the founders there that, that gave me an opportunity and, and knew one day I'd start my own thing and they really supported me. Um, so I'm very grateful wow. for them. Uh, as far as going around validating the idea, so Griffin launched the product, his first version of it in March of 2020 before I was even you know aware of it. He reached out to me about a month or so later. Um, I had just found out my wife was pregnant at the time with our oh, first baby. Um, and so it was kind of that in the middle of the pandemic, right? Keep in mind, mm-hmm. this is like April of 2020, right? When everything is just kind of falling underneath us, right? We're like, you know, wearing gloves to open our groceries or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so I was like, look, like, this is my, you know, my chance to put all the chips on the table. Um, you know, let me do some, some due diligence and actually working with some clients trying to, you know, kind of see if this is, you know, really a, a, a real problem that can be solved, et cetera. And so I think, um, one thing we did early on that I think, uh, is beneficial for everybody. Um, and it's, it's pretty obvious, but it's easily overlooked, especially as you start selling, you kind of feel yourself and feel like you can kind of like, get above and beyond that stuff is we would one by one onboard every client. So we refused to do group onboarding. So like if you had a team of five people, we would do five different onboardings. Right. And the reason was, is, you know, you might have a guy in his sixties, you know, and somebody that just got out of school and they're all got different experiences, different familiarity with tech. Um, And so if we're trying to give the same class to a 17 year old and a 70 year old, it's not going to work. So I think the first thing we did was, uh, we we really took the time to onboard our clients hand on hand on hand, mm-hmm. and then I think by far the thing that we did the uh, that was most important was and everybody in tech knows this term right dog food where we literally every day every mm-hmm. week we were using our product just like our clients were as if we were our clients and so we would I would actually email like you know. Uh, Asian restaurant owners, right? And I'd be getting emails on like a Saturday, you know? And so I got to see firsthand the product and how it could be better and how it was amazing and how I could get all that information. So short answer to your question of how we validated was one by one onboarding um, and really getting obsessed with seeing through the customer's lens, uh, Mm -hmm. working our initial, you know, network we already had in commercial real estate. And then lastly, most importantly, dog fooding and using that to create the best practices, which we still use today. I see. Gotcha. And, and so in that process, did you have any like, um, I guess, defined process for how you actually collected the feedback from those folks that you were kind of onboarding one by one? 
Uh, early on, no. Uh, it was very much just like anecdotal, um, organic. Um, you know, I think that we we also would do um, pilots, uh, which we still do occasionally today. Um, but there always have been and will always be paid pilots. Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's always got to be skin in the game. Which I think for anybody trying to validate a product, like if you're not asking for money, you're 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 you know totally. playing yourself. Um, and highly recommend reading the mom test, which I think I have like over my shoulder right now. Um, if you haven't read that, I um, highly recommend anybody reading that about validating the problem, not the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the product. Um, the mom so it's called yeah. the mom test. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. It's called the mom test. Um, oh, basically the, the spark notes version of this book is let's pretend Max and Tyler decided we wanted to start a recipe app for an iPad. Right. We might go to our mom and be like, Hey mom, if we made a recipe app, would, would you use it? Like, wouldn't it be helpful if you didn't have to like get your paper all dirty and you could just like look at your, you know, recipes on, on the app iPad. And what would your mom say if you said that to her? Absolutely. Of course, honey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Oh yeah. That sounds fantastic. Oh yeah. Those paper recipe books are so annoying. You know, sure. little does she admit that she can just go to all recipes.com on her phone and she has it right there. And so the point is, is that you don't talk about your solution. Mm. You talk about their problem, right? So I what see. you would actually do to talk to your mom is you would say, mom, where are you getting your recipes today? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you? But, and that applies even when you're in line at a Starbucks, right. And you happen to bump into each other. You don't say, Hey, would you buy my product max? Right. So for me, I would say like, Hey Max, do you sell to local businesses? Like, Oh, you do. What do you sell? How are you doing it today? Like right. get clear on that first before you get into the solution. So yeah, this book is awesome. Um, highly recommend yeah. it. Uh, yeah. So we weren't using any, we've used in the past and my other experiences, like different voting you know, mechanisms, stuff like that. But early on, we weren't. But I think it's important as you scale, you do. I see. No, absolutely. I completely agree with that. Um, that's really interesting. So just to pivot slightly, you guys are YC, correct? Yes. Um, would you mind talking to me a little bit about what that looked like, you know, from kind of this outset where you came on board until, you know, joined YC and some of the things you might have learned kind of in the program? Hell yeah. In case you can't tell, I like to talk. So yeah, you, I'd be happy to talk about that. <laughs> Perfect. Sure. Um, so taking a super step back, I would say like YC has always been like a dream of like anybody that's in startups. Like I know for me growing up, it was always like one day I could be in YC. And, you know, frankly, I think that not to be, you know, too much of a douche. I think they are like the like company, the incubator. Like I think everybody else is like a, you know, a fraction of the value of, of Y Combinator. So I, I would recommend everybody out there like being very careful of who you work with. Um, and I think Y Combinator is like the gold standard and, and there's a big standard of deviation between the next person or next group. Um, so it's always been a dream. I remember uh, Griffin and I decided in November of 2020 that we were going to apply. Um, it was intense as hell. I remember um, we reached out to a few uh, YC alums and just kind of like got on Zoom calls and asked their advice. To be honest, it wasn't all that helpful. It was kind of just like, yeah, know your shit basically. Because right. um, it, it's so, you know, situation unique, you know, but basically... Um, I remember, I don't know if you've ever used like a giant post-it note you can put in like on a wall or whatever, but I had post-it notes lining up my apartment at the time mm-hmm. with all of the you know questions they would ask us and every yeah. answer we had. Um, and so I think that the reason, in my opinion, that we got in um, and for anybody listening that wants to get in yeah. um, is like, I think that we had two things that were uh, um, huge for us. The first mm-hmm. was we had traction. So like if you if you were to take away one thing with YC, it's like have some 
traction and you'll get it. If you don't have traction and you're like, oh, if I just get into YC and if I just get 1% of a million mm-hmm. people, you know, then you're wasting your time, right? So have traction um, and you'll get into anything. It's kind of like if you got something for Mark Cuban, if you email Mark Cuban and it's going to benefit him, he'll get back to you, right? right. I promise. Right. Um, you know, uh, but if you're just going to ask him, you know, to pick his brain, you're mm-hmm. fuck off. He's never going to yeah. you know, talk to you ever again. So we had traction. I don't remember um, the exact revenue we were at. I think we were at like maybe uh, like eight or nine K in monthly revenue. Um, so it was still very small, uh, but we were actually profitable too. So we were had, you know, um, we had, you know, less burn than we were bringing in every month, which you know, is unheard of, um, especially in the early days. So that's number one. I think that was like the main part of it, maybe 70, 80%. And then the other 20% was Griffin and I both had, experience. So like it wasn't our first startup. Um, we've both, we were both in the industry of commercial real estate. I had the experience of selling, you know, seven figure deals to big customers and growing teams. Like I ran the the sales team at Sitesuits for a while and then ran the customer success team. And again, super grateful for every bit of opportunity I got there. Uh, so I think it was the fact that we were able, and then Griffin, you know, built the first version of the product himself. Mm-hmm. He also had, you know, some experience in the, in the product, you know, world, which, you know, he's probably a better interview for this podcast than me because he's more of a product guy than me. But um, I can I can fake it enough to, to talk through it. Um, so I think the biggest thing with that is just have traction. Right. Um, another lesson I learned from YC, there's a ton of them, but one if, uh, that I can touch on and I'm happy to expound on others is don't estimate underestimate your own network. Mm. Like I had this like idea that like, you know, I'm a Tampa guy. Tampa is a pretty badass city, but it's no New York, right? It's no Manhattan, you know, it's no Silicon Valley or whatever. And I always thought like, you know, we just got to find people to hire in Silicon Valley and we got to get, you know, investors in Silicon Valley, which we have almost all of our investors in Silicon Valley. But I think you'll never underestimate your existing network for those early hires. Um, people you trust that are grind worthy, I think is, is more important than ever. Uh, but there's a few other lessons from YC that I'm happy to share, but I think that's a good kind of um, bookend to start. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I would love to get into um, some of those other ones, but I, I completely agree, right? I think with startups, the most important thing is to be scrappy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, be scrappy. Yeah, make yep. it happen. Yeah, show that you can make it happen by having. If you don't have a paying customer mm-hmm. and you're trying to get into YC, unless you're building like a you know biotech startup or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like you're 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 playing yourself. You know, right. uh, you're definitely right. playing yourself. In my opinion, you know, yeah. that's just my opinion. Very interesting. Um, so one thing I, I would like to talk about just real quick, and then, and then we can get back to uh, some of the other lessons that you learned at NYC. Um, yeah. So I get the sense that your guys' product is very robust on its own, right? And that the kind of AI uh, features to it extend that value, right? And sure. and it's something that I've talked to a few people about, but I think that that's the way to go, right? You have to have that core nugget, that core answer, and that answer is amplified by AI for the most part, right? Um, yeah. But there's a lot of startups I see coming out that are kind of, for lack of a better term, kind of all hype, right? All oh, yeah. Flashy features, AI buzzwords, right? Um, Let's talk a little bit more about that founding story, right? And how you guys got to that value. Um, Because I think it's really fascinating. Yeah, I think... uh... I think it's, you know, Paul Graham that says like, you should either be working on your product or talking to customers. I'm like, Mm. that's it, you know? Um, And so I think that like, I remember we did just like one post on LinkedIn announcing me like joining and co-founding it with Griffin. And we closed like 200 grand of business off of one post, you know, um, uh, we were doing clubhouses and stuff. I think it like, it really just comes down to 
in sales, like you have to, you know, if anybody has ever sold anything, if you're less excited than the person mm-hmm. you're trying to sell about what you're selling, good yeah. luck fucking selling anything. Yeah. Right. It's impossible. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Unless it's like you're, you know, working for Apple or whatever and you just show up and clock in and clock out. Right. But if you're trying to build something right, not, you know, sell what somebody's already built, Mm -hmm. um, you've got to believe in it. Right. And so I think that like the single most important thing, and I, you know, I literally, it was just mapping out, you know, um, like a whole nother new dog food project with our team Mm -hmm. right now, you know, because like it never goes away. It's just like experiencing what our customer experience, I like to be able to, we would do this side by side project where we would say, okay, try to hit up. I think it was like, um, you know, uh, taco places in a certain mm-hmm. city and try to do it without our product. And we would screen record it and then try mm-hmm. to do it with our product. And you were able to feel like firsthand yeah. what your customer feels like. And you were able to feel firsthand what your customer will feel like. And I think having both of those experiences uh, was really, really important. Um, and something that like, I think we have let our foot off the gas a little bit, you know, as we found growth and, and success, um, to, you know, to a degree, um, like, I think we felt like, Oh, well, we, we know, you know, we know, but the reality is, is like, it is always changing. So I think in that founding story, taking a step back, Griffin builds the first version of it. Right. Um, we get some customers to agree to a paid pilot, right. We physically onboard those people, right. Manually ourselves. Mm-hmm. We also, um, do the dog food with them. We get some success from them. We figure out what we need to build, which at that time was the ability to send the email. So at first it was just like a target list of like, give me all the chiropractors in Atlanta. Right. right? And then it was, I don't want to export this list and send it somewhere else. Can you guys let me send it all on the same flow? And that was the major, you know, thing that we built um, early on. And then we went from, you know, like $8,000 a month in revenue to like $80,000 a month in revenue. And like, three months, um, you know, wow. three or four months, um, you know, got over a million dollars, um, in a very short amount of time. And then I had my first baby and we, we raised money through demo day, raised a couple million dollars. Awesome. Um, and you know, since then, uh, we've made all the, you know, classic mistakes, um, but we're, we've learned from them. And, uh, you know, I really am excited about where we are now and how AI I think is going to fold right into what we've already been doing and just make yeah. it even easier to sell to local businesses. No, absolutely. I, I love that, right? Um, the split screen, right? Before or after, you know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Have you been here? Yeah, no, I, I totally... Uh, and, and so this is the part where I get to talk a little bit about how I have been there, right? Um, so back when I was running my own agency, I um, had kind of a, a, a hunch that film festivals, you know, could use uh, marketing, right? Um, and branding. And so I... Uh, tried my best to scrape the information that I needed to actually reach out to these folks. Right. Um, and what I ended up landing on because there were no good options was I can't afford like a zoom info or, you know, any of these big kind of data providers is I'm going to worm my way into a free trial and Mm. I'm going to, during that free trial work a thousand dog years a day and just scrape all of the info I can. And then by the time I got done with it, I'm emailing these folks and I realized, I don't know what to say to them. I, I this is, I'm so tired. I don't want to do this. <laughs> and it was a, a bit of a failure of a project. Um, so I can totally see the value of, of how, um, you know, your product would, would solve that. It's a great example, man. It's a great example. You're not alone. It's not alone. You, yeah. you get all excited about, Oh, I'm going to hit up a hundred people. And then by the time yeah. you get a hundred people's contact information, you sent, you realize the email you sent, like you spelled hello wrong. And you're like, <laughs> wow, I did all that. Or like yep. it says, you know, high first name. Exactly. Like, That's the classic. Um, 100%. <laughs> You're not alone, dude. You're not alone. 
No, absolutely. Um, that's funny. So you guys, um, let's talk through a little bit about like the AI, right? Um, cause you've got kind of this core product, you've got a good flywheel. It sounds like when yep. did kind of AI come into the picture for you all? Uh, good question. Um, so I'll make a super macro point and then I'll tie mm-hmm. into like where we could, where we are, um, and where it started to kind of, um, uh, blossom from. So I, uh, there's a great author called Bill Bryson. Uh, he wrote a book called a walk in the woods. And my dad mm-hmm. wanted me to read a while ago. And then he wrote a book, highly recommend called a brief history of nearly everything. I don't okay. have it on my bookshelf, but it's a fucking badass book. And one thing I took away from that book, and I think he made this point in it. So I'm not like taking credit for this mm-hmm. realization, but I think it's just a great metaphor. And that is, if you look back in history, like all, a lot of the big discoveries were done by religious and priests, mm-hmm. religious people and priests. Now, why? Right. Um, if you had to just like make up an answer of why you think priests were the ones discovering some of these, you know, different scientific discoveries, what, what would be your guess on that? Or why do you think that it was priests? I would, my guess would be probably that a lot of the power was concentrated in the church and Western civilization for a long time. I think that's accurate. And I think for for me, what I would add to that, because I think you're absolutely right, is the priests were one of the few people that didn't have to work with their hands. Mm. Right. Um, I think both are true, right. Yeah. Where like they weren't having to go work the fields, right. They right. weren't having to go hunt. They weren't having to make swords or whatever, mm-hmm. right. Or, or, you know, um, build houses or whatever it was, they were able to think and use their brains. Right? right. And so I think that like, in my opinion, that is, I think the best way to explain the immediate medium term of AI. Mm-hmm. Now, long term, I have no clue. Nobody yeah. has any idea. Right. You know, if you ask me, I think there's been, you know, civilizations before us that have collapsed and we probably will be a part of that at some point, you know, thousands of years in the future. But that's a whole nother story for the, the Graham Hancock fans out there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think what I so to make my my point succinct here, I think that all AI is doing is just making us all more like priests. Hmm. Right. It's essentially doing helping us do less dumb shit. Hmm. And I, I think that more often than not, that's what technology is here to do in the first place, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like Apple's announcement yesterday with the VR, it's like, so you can feel like you're in the room with somebody without having to go visit that person. Mm-hmm. Like just to make it easier so you don't have to do as much dumb shit to do right. what you and I are doing right now, which is connecting with human beings. Right. Um, so with that idea in in mind, the way I describe our product is it's like a, a, a gym with steroids on the equipment. Mm-hmm. Meaning like if you just come to the gym and work out, I guarantee you, you will see results, right? Like you mm-hmm. will feel, you will get stronger, you will get leads, you will get traction, right? Yeah. But just like any gym, right? If you don't work out, it ain't going to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. And just like any fitness exercise, right? January 1, you're ready to go in the gym every day. By January 10th, you're sitting on your ass, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that anybody in sales knows that what you're doing today is what was a result of 30, 60, 90 days before, Mm. i.e. pipeline or prospect, right? right? Right. And so to answer your question of like, how have we kind of been incorporating AI? There's really two lenses that I would, three lenses I would put that in. The first is the data itself, uh, which I'll touch on in a second. But the second is just making it easier to reach out to these people and making it so they have to do less clicking and less dumb shit, mm-hmm. right? And so the idea is, I think the the vision for for where we're going, right? Um, in the short term, I think, you know, six, six months or so from here, we'll be there is you'll have a prompt, you can use audio, you can use text and you say, hey, 
I'm trying to sell chiropractors in Sandy Springs, Atlanta, marketing mm-hmm. services for, you know, um, videos and testimonials for their website. Uh, can you reach out to help me reach out to all of the chiropractors in Sandy Springs that have at least one location, but no more than three? Um, and here's a, a, a testimonial from one of my clients. There mm-hmm. you go. And then the AI just spits out a list for them and oh, wow. makes emails and they kind of approve, you know, and tweak them and then boom. And mm-hmm. now that person wakes up the next morning and they have five chiropractors that emailed the back and they go close them, you know? Yeah. Um, so does it replace a salesperson? No, it makes right. the salesperson just do, instead of that, that Salesforce stat I gave you earlier, the 28%, mm-hmm. you know, actually selling, they're able to spend 90% of their time doing this and not Googling, you know, for the, um, you know, the film festival, the contact information. Totally. It's almost like, um, like all of these, uh, I feel like a lot of AI companies have kind of maybe unwittingly or intentionally created interns, right? (laughs) Like these, uh, these artificial interns that take away all of the kind of drudgery work. And I I think you're spot on there, right? Because that stuff, while it seems small uh, and inconsequential, it, ha- it actually, I think, has a huge cost on kind of the mental bandwidth that people have day to day, right? Like when I think about the more painful days in my work experience, it's typically the ones that I've spent doing stuff like that, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And not seeing any results from it and then exactly. felt even more frustrated. Because if you if you would have done all the hundred research on those film mm-hmm. festivals and then you sold $10 million, you'd be like, oh, fuck yeah. That yeah, was exactly. Awesome. But <laughs> you felt like you wasted your time. I agree. And I think that intern analogy is spot on. Yeah. Um, now, when does it become more than that? I don't know. Um, but mm-hmm. I, that's where it is. I think in the immediate, call it the next at least a year or two. I don't think it's going to get much more than that, you know, um, and the next year or two. And then, you know, the, the rest is, you know, I think uh, you can't predict um, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. And I, I'd say um, just for the audience in general, beware of anybody who does. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody knows what the hell is going on. And that's one thing that like I've realized, I don't know if you've ever had this aha moment where you get done from school, you know, whether it's, Miami of Ohio or mm-hmm. wherever you go, right? And you get you realize, holy shit, my parents are just people. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought they were like this like aura of like a right. being. Like no they they don't know what they're doing, just yeah. like their parents don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And what I can tell you is like from my experience at Saitu's working with some of the biggest mm-hmm. client customers in the world, like and like, you know, these companies that are billion dollar companies, right? Um, and some of which we didn't work with, but I, you know, sold like into them and I know their mm-hmm. processes. None of them know what they're doing, dude. And like the three or four that do are crushing it. Like mm-hmm. Warby Parker knows what they're doing. Yeah. Right. Chick-fil-A knows what they're doing. Right. 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 Fill in the blank of every other company. Right. I won't say who it was, but mm-hmm. I remember like two years into working with this company. And this is keep in mind, probably one of the five to 10 largest restaurants in the globe Mm -hmm. uh, was like, Oh, we realized that some of our um, operators were sending you 12 periods of data. Some were sending 13 periods of data. Some were sending 15 periods of data. So in short, the data that was feeding their predictive models Mm -hmm. was not the same apples to apples. And so some stores looked like they were performing better, but it was just because they were reporting more months of, of, um, of sales. And it's like, mm. you can't even get your sales information, right? right you know? Um, right. So I think none of us know what we're doing. And, you know, if anybody expert acts like they have it all figured out, they're probably just trying to sell you a course. Um, mm-hmm. So they can go sit on a beach, and you know, teach people to do stuff without ever doing it themselves. Totally. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, so circling back a little bit, uh, we talked about kind of the, the big lesson that you learned from joining YC. Um, let's talk about some of the other things that you learned. 
Yeah, you're a great interviewer, bro. I'm impressed. You're quick on your uh, your toes. Um, Thank you. Uh, being able to read through the lines of me just rambling here. Um, uh, two <laughs> other lessons from YC. Um, the first is probably the most like tactical one. Um, is week over week sales goals. Mm. Huge, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Everybody does the end of the year goal. Everybody does the mm-hmm. quarterly goal. Everybody, most people do a monthly goal, right? But there's something so powerful about a weekly goal. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it forces you to do everything you can to control, right? Because if you have a month, right? It's June, whatever now, right? If we still have X number of weeks in the month, right? Um, then I might wait you know, to push. Right. And then at the end of the month, I'm scrambling because I need to get it in. Right. Or like, if you remember back to writing a paper for college, right. You're going to wait until, you know, the, um, I think it's Parkinson's law that says like everything expands to the deadline. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that like that week over week growth goal is so helpful. Um, and I remember every, and also a a level of accountability with that growth goal. So what me and my, my, uh, uh, partner would do, um, is at the beginning of the week, we'd call our goal, right? And it was always a week, a 7% weekly growth number, which mm. is crazy as you yeah. start getting bigger numbers, but early on it's doable. Mm. Um, that's like the gold standard for, for YC companies. Um, and I remember every other week, so one week you would do just your like small group. And then the other week you do it with like the, the larger group and you'd have to stand up and say, my goal was this, we sold this much, we hit our goal or we didn't. And that was it. You couldn't be like, well, my grandma died and blah, blah, blah. You know, it was like shit or get off the pot. Like what you Mm -hmm. got. And we hit every single goal. And every time it was like an hour before we'd get like a nice, like $10,000 deal coming and be like, we just made it, you know? Um, So Mm -hmm. I think those weekly goals, you'll really, it'll force yourself to put in that daily action and not put things off. Um, That would be number one would be weekly goals. Totally. Yeah. I, uh, that's super true, right? Like um, whether we call it procrastination or not, I do think that humans just have a natural tendency to delay, right. As much as possible. Um, So with those weekly goals, how do you, uh, I mean, I guess it kind of naturally forces accountability, right? That's kind of the the goal of having the goal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Having, having somebody that you have to say whether you hit the goal or not. Right. And I think for us, it was not only our, my, my business partner, mm-hmm. you know? And so it was like, and keep in mind, right? Like he came to me of any person mm-hmm. in the world to be his co-founder. Right. Um, and, and, you know, change our lives together. And so mm-hmm. like, I didn't want to let them down, you know, like I didn't want to be, and I'm supposed to be good at sailing. And so I didn't want to come in and like him be closing more than me every time and be like, what the fuck, you know? And then right. the added accountability of having to stand up in front of our other, you know, batchmates, other people that were in YC, it's a, it's a powerful thing. And I think to any, any startup people that are in like phase, like two, like that have gotten like are close to that million dollars in, in ARR, like have like a, you know, have what we all hear is product market fit, right? Or think they have product market fit. I highly recommend getting an accountability partner mm. and that could be a business coach and just have it as simple as like every month you lay out, Hey, here's what I'm committing to. And then at the end of the month, it's like, did you do it or not? Or halfway yeah. through the month, are you on track or not? And we've fallen off on that a little bit. You know, we don't have the weekly goals like we used to our mm. sales you know, team does, but I don't think we're as like gung ho with it as we should be. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's just, and then we also last like anecdote that is interesting is we would do little challenges. So when we would hit their bonuses, so when we would hit the number, it was never like, Oh, you, we get a thousand dollars or anything like that. It was never monetary. Mm-hmm. It was always like, Hey, we get a, a round of cocktails on the business. 
And what okay. we would do is on Friday night, we'd be at the bar and I'd like selfie him on a FaceTime and be like, let's go, bro. We closed 20 grand today. Like blah, 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 you know? Um, and that was just so powerful. Like I'll never forget those, those, um, you know, FaceTimes that we would do with each other. So it's like the weekly goals, the accountability externally, the accountability externally and internally, and then some mm-hmm. sort of fun, like progress feeling, you know, way. And I would have a thermometer on my whiteboard right here and I would fill in, okay, the goal is a hundred K. Okay. I'm at this much. I'm at this much. I'm at this much. Awesome. How do you, um, keep that kind of, cause you know, as the founder, I mean, you're as close to the success of this business as possible. It's crucial make or break. Right. Um, yeah. How do you keep that kind of intensity and focus as you kind of scale up and, and start adding a team? Good question. Um, I don't know if I, I have that figured out yet. I think um, I think it's uh, unfair for business owners and founders to expect the same work from their team as expected from them. Um, right. And I think that changes, right? Like I can't put in the same work I did when we were in YC as I can now. Like I'm just, I would, mm-hmm. I would die. You know, like yeah. we were we were grind- like, we were not sleeping. We were grinding constantly, you know? Um, and especially with the kid, it's just impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like one, just having like a real ex realistic expectation of like this, like their world does not revolve around your company, you right. know? Um, and if it does, uh, then they're probably, you know, don't have a good, you know, long-term, um, uh, strategy. Mm-hmm. Taking that into account by having the right expectation of at least like, hey, be at a, a six or a seven out of 10 or an eight out of 10. Right. You don't have to be a 10 out of 10 in terms of intensity is, I think, uh, uh, two, two advice. One would be in, in the interviewing process, which mm-hmm. I think is super important. I've learned a lot about that. It's still a lot of uh, improvement needed, but I would always ask like, hey, Max, fast mm-hmm. forward like five or 10 years in the future, where do you see yourself? Like, mm-hmm do you own your own business? Like, are you like, if I'm interviewing for a sales role, like, are you a, are you just closing million dollar deals and flying around on first class and staying in nice hotels? Or are you like a sales leader and you have like a team around you? Are you maybe out of sales and trying something different? Did you start your own business? Is it a local business? Is it a huge business? Like what, what do you see yourself and how, how can we help make this opportunity a stepping stone for you to get Mm. to that? you know, point. And that's something that the site twos guys did for me is they knew, Hey, I know you want to start your own thing and we hope we can be a part of it or invest in it or whatever. Um, so I think it's like having the right expectation, um, see, seeing where they want to go in life. And then obviously like compensating them fairly. I think, right. um, I think if any, anybody listening to this is like applying for a job, like don't mm-hmm. take the first offer, like just don't take the first offer. Um, yeah. like, you you can't expect the employer to like lay out all their cards at the beginning. Like it's just never going to happen. Right. Um, and so if you take the first offer, uh, you're you're leaving money on the table. Um, mm. you know, more often than not. Now sometimes what I'll do, you know, when I'm talking to people, is I'll make my initial offer. They'll come back and I'll say, look, this isn't a Shark Tank negotiation. Like this is the best we can do here. Mm-hmm. You know, take it or leave it. You know, I really want to work with you, but I can't do anything more than this. Right. Right. Uh, so I think just transparency, and then yeah. the best. The last thing I'll say is I learned this from a mentor of mine. The best leaders he, the best leader he ever had, would call him every week, mm-hmm. randomly, just say, "Hey, what's up, Max? How's it going, man? How you doing?" That was it. It was never, "Hey, how's it going?" But did you get that, you know, yeah, blah yeah. blah blah report for me, or did you get that deal done, or did you get mm-hmm. blah blah blah? Like you were just like, it's kind of like there's that one. Uh, 
uh, there's like a Kanye song. Um, and he's like, yeah, I hate when my friends text me what's up and then, or somebody you haven't heard of text you what's up and then ask you for something five yep. minutes later, you know? Yep. Um, so I think the the short concise answer of how do you motivate, you know, your team mm-hmm. with the same level of motivation you have is have the right expectation of what that level should be. Right know where they want to be in life and how you can set them up for success for that while also being careful to promise when they can get there and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, just treating them like a human being. How are you doing? Right. What's going on? You know, what's, what's stressing you out? What are you excited about? Um, and I think that probably goes the longest way of all of them. No, absolutely. I love that. I mean, I, I think that that gets lost, right. Is in, in all the tactics and strategies is just be a decent human, right. It, it goes a lot further than people think. Agreed. Agreed. Easier said than done too, because life, yeah. you know, life hits you, you know, and you're not, I think, I think team members, you know, in the past, like for me, I'd be like, well, he needs to call me and he needs to give me this promotion. He needs to give me blah, blah, blah. Like any, anybody in sales or business knows that like, it all comes down to one thing, making it fucking happen. Mm-hmm. Nobody else is going to make it happen for you. Like if you want to be the the head of a, a sales team, if you want to be the CEO of a company, you got to make it happen. If you're just waiting for that person to like, here, Max, would you like this? Like you're going to be waiting forever, not because they don't believe in you. It's because they're caught up with whatever they're caught up with in that moment in time. Totally. No, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great advice, right? Is, you know, you got to, I mean, it's, it's, it goes back to the same as w- what you were talking about with, you know, your product in those early sales days, right? It's like you have to believe in yourself, in your product more than anybody else. You're right. You're spot on, dude. Yeah, good job tying the, connecting the dots. You're quick on your toes, dude. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so circling back to AI a little bit. Yeah. Um, would, would you mind talking through kind of, you know, what the implementations of AI look like in your product? Good question. Um, so I, um, I'm definitely not the smartest person in the room and definitely not the smartest person on the team in terms of everything, especially with this stuff. So I'll, you know, I'll, I'll uh, buffer my, my comments with that where I'm not, you know, like, uh, I'm not the product owner. I'm not the scrum master, you know, um, even though I've, I've played those roles, um, mm-hmm. in the past, I think that, uh, I think that the AI for us, how it initially, um, surfaced was through our metadata. Mm-hmm. So like, if you think about, you know, every week, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of businesses that are being contacted in our platform. Right. And when I eat to use the, you know, the chiropractor in Sandy Springs, Atlanta example, when I email a hundred chiropractors and one of them gets back to me and says, I'm interested. Now I have that person's, you know, cell phone number, right. I have their address. I have the sentiment of, was it a positive response? Was it a negative response? Right. Um, and so then what I can do is I can update the contact information. Right. And where we're heading is the ability to kind of have hot leads, right. Knowing like, okay, if this person, you know, responded positively to someone else, he probably will respond positively to somebody else again within region. Is there kind of compliments between industries um, and stuff like that? So I think the first piece is like, um, I remember I read this book a a long time ago, uh, AI Superpowers, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. It's actually a really cool book before all this chat GPT stuff about AI. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how like the new oil is data, Mm. uh, which, you know, I think is a whole nother topic around privacy and how that's like a double-edged sword. Like if we're Mm -hmm. too private as a country, we're going to fall behind in terms of like our data to feed these models. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone like China is going to run all over us. Uh, But the, the earliest implementation I think was on the, um, on the metadata itself um, and kind of adding like different sentiment analysis, you know, um, to responses um, and, and, you know, kind of the likeliness of response. And then I think the, 
the next iterations of the AI are around the um, like actual email deliverability. So we're doing some stuff where it like queues emails. It's automatically like, you know, separating time between them. Um, it's recommending when you need to switch templates, it's grading your template, you know, um, uh, stuff like that, which I think is the step in the right direction for us to kind of yeah. do the templates for you. And then you approve them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think this all comes into the actual like UX of it where it's like, okay, how can, how can I kind of prompt what I'm looking for? And then AI connects the list building with the email outreach, with the tracking kind of in the background. And that's that uh, future stuff that we're working on right now. Very cool. Kind of all one ecosystem. One ecosystem. Uh, yeah. So it's really the metadata into the, you know, um, kind of templatization mm-hmm. and the uh, um, email deliverability into the entire like workflow um, with like more of a prompt base um, flow. I see. Gotcha. And, and you touch on data there. Um, it's super interesting. And and we can get into this to whatever depth you feel comfortable with. Would you yeah. mind t- talking about kind of, um, you know, data, how you guys are able to provision it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So basically, the, you know, I think every, every badass database starts out with with the public mm. data. Right. Um, and so with, with us, we've taken this fragmented market and put it all into one place to start. Mm-hmm. And then we have added the moat with the metadata that I was just talking mm-hmm. about. So the, the initial you know, sources that we would look at are things like Yelp, right. Facebook, um, the, the company's websites themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, we all know how fun it is to work with the government, especially their data bases. Mm-hmm. Right. The Secretary of State data, Chamber of Commerce data, Better Business Bureau data. Um, and then as, you know, as folks get reached out to, um, we're updating the data, uh, as businesses are opening and closing, we're updating the data. Right. We even are having clients that have been requesting, which we do this manually, but we'll probably make it a little more automatical, mm-hmm. um, the ability to actually, add, they add the data in, you know, okay. like, um, where it's like, Hey, I know this guy's email mm-hmm. address. Let me just put it in there so I can just email him the next time and not have to right. go to my outlook or Gmail or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's the, the combination of it. But I think last Last I looked, I think we're at like over 7 million businesses um, in the U.S. um, and growing. Um, And I feel strongly in saying like we have the best local business data um, (coughs) that you can find. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, I love that. Right. Um, I mean, a lot of the people that I talk to, I I kind of keep coming to this realization that AI is as good as the data that, you know, creates it and that feeds it. Um, so having, you know, that fantastic giant, you know, proprietary database has got to be just a real shot in the arm for you guys as a business. It is. Yeah. I think it's, it's our, our lifeblood. And I think the thing that we know that I think a lot of people under appreciate that are in the data world is that Mm -hmm. like data with shitty messaging means nothing. Mm. And so, you know, if we can have the, if we can have the, the world's best local business data, and we can make sure that every message that ever comes out of Resquared is unique and tailored and no two messages are the same and right. nobody's blasting folks or actually taking the time to be tailored. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just going to further beef up our data, uh, which is going to further give up, you know, give more wins to people, which is going to get more people using mm-hmm. it, et cetera. And that's, I think the grand vision is, you know, we, we initially started in commercial real estate, you know, and they know before anybody else does who's growing. Um, and mm-hmm. so now we can start to go into industries like insurance and marketing and advertising and, you know, B2B sales um, across the blaze while also staying focused, you know, and not chasing too many rabbits at the same time. And that's the the balance that we have to the fight through every single day. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's quite a 
it's quite an existential challenge, right? When you're you're at because you guys have some some serious scale, but when you're trying to take that next step, right, and really expand out, reach new markets, how do you guys kind of find balance when it comes to that market research and analysis and all that? It's a great question. Um, I think uh, I think it's just. Um, iteration like quick iteration you know um uh, and also carving out time to focus on our you know our core competency like for example we've been doing some uh, some facebook ads you know um and you know uh the, the team is you know griffin and, and leo and ashley and v have been just like crushing it we're early on we were getting like a lot of leads but not quality and then we got mm-hmm. you know started getting more quality leads and then more that are closing and so i think that like just getting better, you know, um, is, is super, uh, crucial. Um, while also I think not like kind of bringing back what you and I spent a lot of the early conversation on of like the dog booting, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm literally messaging people as if I'm an insurance agent, right. you know, every day, you know, to see what it's like so I can learn to be able to, you know, translate those best practices. So, yeah. But, uh, that said, you know, what would you say to somebody, maybe a founder who's doing founder led sales at this stage? Um, who is wondering if the tech business climate is even sellable, right? Because I've heard a lot of people, you know, saying, you know, the conditions are so bad. How are we even going to make a sale, right? It's a good question. I think uh, my first answer is if you're scared, get a dog, you know, Um, (laughs) like, uh, you know, like I think that uh, if you're, if you're a founder, right. And you're asking that question, you know, and this is something I, I remind myself every day is like, you got to keep earning that right mm-hmm. to be the founder, right? Um, and guess what? It takes risk and it means that yeah. you're going to have to risk it. And if it was easy, everybody would do it. And then you wouldn't have the same rewards or the same incentives. Um, you know, so I think that uh, I, I think it comes back to um, do solve, focus on the problem. Mm. Like you just know what focus a problem. Yeah. Like there's nothing worse than they're like, well, our solution is there's just like 10 solutions and we're putting it all into one. It's like, that is the worst fucking business ever. Cause it's not even a real problem you're solving. Cause what's going to happen is another solution is going to come out and you're just going to be obsolete. Right. right. Um, so it's like, how can you just get laser focused on what is their problem? Right. Mm-hmm. And then define success bust your ass to meet that, be clear with the expectations, be clear with the progress and then try it again. You know, I think that I found that like human beings and people, like there's a lot of good people out there that like will give you a chance if you're just real with them and you're honest with them. And if you can just like build a relationship with somebody, um, that'll go a long way. Like there's so many clients that I had at SiteDews that are clients of ours now that I'd never in a million years would have thought of been clients because it was we didn't have the same clients. Like they just happened to you know translate over. So it's right. like don't be don't be scared. You know, if you're scared, then you're probably in the wrong you know seat anyways. Um, and if you're scared, that means you're growing. That's number mm-hmm. one. Number two is shrink the problem down, right? Don't make this this like grandiose, you know, thing of like, oh, if I could just raise a hundred million dollars and I could mm-hmm. get a million users, then I'll start making money. Um, just figure out the mom, read the fucking mom test would be my, mm-hmm. uh, my advice. Um, and make those week over week growth goals and just yeah. keep going. Um, don't give mm-hmm. up. That was a big thing with YC is it's like the difference between companies that, uh, that kill it and don't is they just mm-hmm. keep going. Like it's going to get hard. It's going to be, you know, everybody's heard of the trough of sorrow. Right. And we dealt with it. Right. Like right out of YC, um, we like didn't sell as much as we were in YC Mm -hmm. and we've gotten, you know, back and forth from that. And like, it sucks. Uh, but like, you just got to keep going. Totally. Totally. 
and read the mom test. Um, read the, yeah, read the mom test. Exactly. <laughs> no, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's uh, I think it's something fundamental to human nature, right? I mean, it's a similar statistic to talk about podcasts. I think something like ninety percent of podcasts never reach their fourth episode or something like that. Something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I um, believe it. Right, and it is just consistency, right? Like, even if the conditions are bad. What else are you doing? You know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. I think you're so spot on. Something I've been trying to do. You've probably seen Alex Hermosi or whatever on mm-hmm. uh, on YouTube. Um, and I actually really appreciate a lot of what he puts out more often than not. And something he said, uh, 100% related to what you said was like he set out the goal of making a, a podcast episode every week, mm. and that was the goal. Not to make to get a hundred thousand downloads totally. or to get a, it was the input that was the goal, not the output. And I exactly. think that. For myself, you know, as I've gone from like pure founder, pure like selling myself to mm-hmm. building teams to the founder selling to right. trying to build the teams to back to selling to and building teams at the same time, like right. you sometimes like get away from that and think you're like, you know, better than you're, you are. And you just right. got to remind yourself, like, I got to do my cold calls just like the guy next to me does. Totally. And if I don't, he's going to beat me. And so game on. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Bring that competition inside. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If it was easy, everybody would do it. So you gotta gotta blaze your own trail. No, hundred percent. So we're uh, we're running a little tight on time, but I do want to ask you um, just one last question. Um, Please. What is your biggest hot take on the state of the tech industry today? Ooh, good question. Um, Well, first off, this has been great. Um, So thank you for uh, for for being so thorough and actually listening to what I'm saying and you know digesting it and asking uh, very thoughtful questions. my hot take for the tech industry. Um, <laughs> hmm. I think my answer right now would be, and this was before AI and all this mm-hmm. stuff. I, I've thought this since um, since my sites use days. It started with, I remember uh, one of our investors said to me, sales cures all. Mm-hmm. Sales always cures all. I was just like, no, it doesn't. Yeah. Like, it temporarily cures all. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, so I think my hot take is for the tech industry is I think customer success is going to become a more important than role than sales. Mm. And I think that the paradigm is going to shift that the customer success person is going to make more money than the salesperson will in the future. Got you. Got you. Yeah, no, I, uh, I've heard that expressed as um, one month of contract is not equivalent to 12 months. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, and it's just like anybody that's sold before that's gotten a referral mm-hmm. knows how fucking easy it is. Like you aren't a great salesperson. You're just a, got a referral. Right, right. now. I also think that right now the best salesperson wins, you know, mm-hmm. so like, I think there's like there's still that human element that as product becomes more and more, you know, PLG product led growth, you know, it'll be less the case. But like. Mm-hmm. I just think that customer success, like that wasn't even a role 10, 15 years ago, right? Um, I just think that like the human element behind the technology, all right, and that relationship building and that, you know, kind of guidance and that Sherpa kind of I'm willing to, you know, like that service mentality, I think is um, it's going to flip where they're going to be the ones making a half a million dollars a year while the sales guys making, you know, a hundred thousand if they're lucky um, uh, is what I think is going to happen in tech as a whole. Right on, right on. You heard them, guys, getting to customer success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agreed. Uh, I think it's. I think those lines will be blurred, um, and I think that, uh, yeah, land and expand will be, um, yeah, uh, a, a much more common thing than just like only enterprise deals to start with. 
No, absolutely. No, I completely agree. That's a great hot take. Um, yep. What's your hot take? Oh, my hot take? Oof. Putting, flipping it back on me. Let's see here. Um, okay. My my real hot take? Real hot take. Hit me. A chat GPT wrapper is not an AI product. Mm, there you go. Yeah. Interesting. I've Why? seen a lot of those. Why? Um, is it because you're, you're just... Chat GPT is an AI product and you're just putting lipstick on the pig or do you think chat GPT is not a really a full? No, AI? no, I, I do believe in the efficacy and value of generative. Right. Yeah. But I do also think that a lot of people are building on black boxes for applications that really can't withstand that. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Um, it's one thing that uh, at Player Zero we've really like tried to think through a lot is when you're talking about people's data. Um, especially if you're talking about, you know, people's product data or insights, analysis, anything related to, to kind of that end, the level of buy-in is extreme, right? Um, the thing that I hear a lot is, well, what if it misrepresents the data? How do I find that out? What if I run with this assumption and then later on, I find it's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. It's that thing that you were saying, right? The sale doesn't matter if, we lose trust in the first time that they seriously use the product. So I think that um, a combination of more transparency around the models, as well as incorporating the tech in a way that is more than just um, a wrapper, right? More than just uh, chat GPT inside of this thing, right? It's using it in novel new ways. I think that's actually going to create value. That makes sense. That makes sense. Is it fair to say like as a, as an example, what you're describing, if I'm, and I'm just making this off, off the top of my head so we, we can chop, chop all of this up if we need to, um, is uh, like Uber, mm-hmm. for hypothetical example, can take all of the Uber data, yeah. feed a, a model, and then use that's real yeah. you know, AI. Exactly. Just exactly. like we have ChatGPT and Uber now. Like it's the same database exactly. that everybody's working from. Exactly. Like I'd say that your guys' product, right? Like that's, that's yeah. what gets me excited, right? Is when you have this unique database that no one else has and you're able to utilize ai in a way that nobody else has because it, it does come down to the data always yeah no you're right no, that's a good point that's why i think reddit you know recently just said like you know they can't you can't use reddit mm-hmm. data um which i think is where like youtube has such an advantage if they can just yeah. get the the transcriptions of youtube down and just right. like that all the search data and all that like to me they just like could shit all over chat gpt but mm-hmm. um you know if they can get over the the bureaucracy of what they've built at this point you know it's kind of they're they're not as nimble as they were in my opinion you know um yeah um, but i hope they prove me wrong because i i like google yeah no same here same here i uh I mean, I I try to be agnostic with the models when I'm using them, but you know, I mean, I'm I'm pretty team Google all day. <laughs> yeah, same here, man. Same here. Yeah. yeah, especially from having to use Outlook for so long, and then now we yes. we're a Google Shop, and it's a it's totally. a world of a difference. Um, so, um, but no, this has been great, Max. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. Um, and uh, yeah, you let me know whatever the the next steps from here are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate it so much, Tyler. And uh, if you want to just uh, you know let everybody know where they can find you, um, you know where they can sure. follow you. Yeah, so check me out on LinkedIn. Uh, uh, LinkedIn.com slash Tyler W. Carlson is my uh, URL, I think. Um, but yeah, make sure to find me on uh, on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm happy if you're trying to sell a small business, um, need some help, just slide into the DMs um, and I'd be happy to help you. Right on. And it's re2.ai, right? re2.ai is our website. Perfect. Yep, thank you for that. Of course. Thanks so much, Tyler. I really appreciate it.